Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this end of year edition, the end of year review with Andy Edstrom, author of Why Buy Bitcoin and Jesse Myers, otherwise known as Croesus, prolific writer in the Bitcoin space, many articles, and now entrepreneur starting his own company on ramp. He'll be back in January to talk more about that. In this episode, we touch on what happened, what went down in 2023 in the world of Bitcoin, or just in the world because Bitcoin touches everything. We talk about the collapse of FTX, the closing of many banks, uh, whether they were in uh, America or Europe. So much has gone on that we've just completely forgotten about. Uh, What does it mean for the new accounting rules going into 2025? Keep that in mind. Fair value accounting is going to come to publicly listed companies in the US. What does that mean for MicroStrategy? How much more can Sailor stack? What is going to happen when the ETF is or is not greenlit? Why is the mempool completely spammed up at the moment? And is there a deeper, darker incentive going on behind that rather than just hey yeah it's just us having fun with monkey jpegs on the blockchain this and more lots more to to dig into and i really appreciate andy and jesse coming on and uh, you know long time contributors to bitcoin and bitcoin education as well make sure you're stacking guys as we go into 2024 maybe your first stack is going to happen in that year or maybe you're just gonna keep going at it keep your head down we have the halving coming up in around april 2024 bitcoin price will go up that gets discussed in this episode as well andy couldn't help himself swan bitcoin is a place to go and stack in the us or relay in europe both have apps that you can download get across there in the case of relay you can be stacking up to thousand swiss or equivalent per day very low kyc and that can all be done under two minutes You can also speak to both sets of teams if you need that extra help. They are there to guide you through your Bitcoin journey. Hoddle Hoddle, if you want to go KYC free, get some KYC free sats as part of your stack. Hoddle Hoddle have been in the game for a long time. Hit the link in the show notes. Use the code BITTEN. You will save on commission. It's a uh, global peer-to-peer trading and lending network. So get across to Hoddle Hoddle. WasabiWallet.io. You can get straight there, download the software, create a wallet, and pull some coins off and see a coin join happen in front of your eyes. This is something that many people are taking a closer look at as we, uh, as their stacks grow and perhaps their, their stack has been KYC'd by exchanges. Coin joining is a way to disconnect your identity from your UTXOs. Bitbox is the place to go for your self-custody. Bitbox 02. They've got a uh, a Bitcoin-only wallet there, and that is the best place for you to take complete control of your keys. Not your keys, not your coins. Please make that, uh, put that top of your list. Top of the list to do in 2024 if you've not taken self-custody of your Bitcoin. Get over to mempool.space to track what's going on and where the current transaction fees are. Like we discussed in this episode about the hour and five mark, there's a lot of weird stuff going on, and I don't think it's just monkeys on the blockchain. I think there's a deeper thing going on. Follow my tweets about that and get across to Madeira 
1st to the 3rd of March. Use code BITTEN for 10% discount. Here's Andy and Croesus. We might get a... Um... Oh, we're live. I thought we were going to get a, some kind of count-in. Uh, let's see. I'm just, just like going to go to the YouTube... I'm going to go to the YouTube channel and check uh, to see what is going on here. Uh, One watching. Live. One, one watching, but I don't see any video there. There we go. All right. We are live, guys. We are live. All right. Excellent. Uh, we're here. Fuck it. We'll do it live. We'll go live. That's, <laughs> do it live. That's what we're doing. Daddy's words. I know. All right. Okay. <laughs> well, Chris and Andy, welcome back to the Once Bitten podcast uh, and for this end of year review and the reason i wanted to do it live is because we do these end of year reviews or we do a macro catch up and whatever else and we talk about all of this stuff and it takes me two or three days to get it edited and shipped and by then it's all changed again so like screw it let's do it live Let, let's do an end of year review we'll do the macro we we'll do the micro we we'll do the bitcoin we'll do the fun stuff we'll do everything that we can remember that has happened throughout 2023 in our crazy little bubble land uh, and try and unpick it and uh, perhaps we'll get some projections for 2024 as well. But no price predictions, Andy. I know you're itching to give us the, the moon juice over there. But before we do anything, uh, we have to let Lauren ask the first question. Yeah. Well, since you guys keep coming back so much, I don't really have many questions. So I guess I have to ask the famous question I did last year. What was the fame? Uh, what was your favorite thing you got for Christmas? That's cool. That's cool. All right. Well, I'll go. Well, I'll go first. Um, Lauren's great to see you. Princey's great to see you. Jesse, aka Creases, is great to see you. Always. Um, I'll go first. So my wife got me a new adjustable weight set. So it's these these dumbbells which take up almost no room and i think they go up to like 75 pounds each and you can you know click uh basically rotate them to set the right weight that you want and it leaves you know the right amount on the rack and so it's a great space saver i had a uh, a sort of a cheaper version of them that my best friend gave to me years ago and so this is uh, an upgrade and this will help keep uh andy edstrom strong in the new year 2024 man we've got some really cliche answers here andy yours was a uh, uh workout stuff uh mine i think was golf clubs so uh we are quite the uh millennial guys at this point um yeah i got i i was sort of into golf 10 years ago and then i decided i just didn't have time for it or you know i was living in the city and i got rid of my clubs and i regretted it and then i basically i tracked down the exact same not not the exact clubs but the same um model and and bought uh and, and got those clubs well you know had them as a as a present but i uh pointed people in that direction so i'm excited about that I thought you were going to say like you got barbecue, uh, barbecue yeah, yeah. or something. Yeah, that'll, that'll be next Christmas. So, <laughs> well, I did, uh, I did take some notes, uh, in preparation for this end of year review and, uh, and I have them 
right here. I don't know if people can read this. Is this backward? I think it's backward. <laughs> no, that's, no, that's right. It was right. Yeah, there we go. Um, that's what I have in preparation for uh, for right. our year-end review. Well, we, we're we're jumping the gun. We have to find out from Lauren what what she got for Christmas. Mm. Oh my God! I got this. Uh, Wait, you want to run and get it? I can go run and get it. She's gonna run and get it, guys. <laughs> There's a lot of excitement there. Okay. <laughs> She's more excited uh, than than Jesse is about his golf clubs. Let's put it that I think way. That's fair. I mean. Yeah, it, it, you know, at that age, your neurotransmitters are just stoked about everything. So, well, it, it's great to hear you're getting into the golf. I, I know Pierre Richard is coming for us hard, but I'm a I'm a golfer too. You're a golf guy, I didn't know that. Yeah, and please come to Madeira and join the hole in one championship, uh, <laughs> the, the whole coiner, the whole coiner championship. Oh, I love it. Okay, right. Okay, here we go. It should be a little Ryder Cup going on at Bitcoin Atlantis in, in Madeira. Yeah. Sorry, we're still talking about golf. Well, this is yeah. way more important. Okay, she, she is <laughs> correct, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. This is way more important. Boom. Oh, cool. Ooh. A little hodler. Love yeah, it. but it's like the Princess yeah. Hotel version. From the Princess Hotel. So we're shilling, first of all, Lena's little hodler yeah. and Mark's Princess Hotel. And uh, we, well, Claire and I picked this up from Mark in october yeah it was october that we were staying there november that we stayed there in the hotel that's awesome oh, and i did get silver earrings but this is way better <laughs> <laughs> that's a beautiful shout out and what did i get for christmas um a lot more stuff wait but what do I, what what are the two things i always ask for every year but never get peace and quiet <laughs> i thought it was gonna be socks <laughs> all a man wants in his house jesse is some peace and quiet on christmas day right? yeah. we make sure he doesn't get it no <laughs> I, yeah I, I noticed that so it sounds like every year you're asking for that so you haven't received it yet not yet still waiting one day one day santa will deliver and i'll be sitting there and i'll be like oh this sucks like, yeah, well, yeah, i remember yeah. when the kids were young and like they would come and like jump on me in the morning yeah yeah that'd be uh it, well, you know, we might all be living on some big ranch citadel farm by then, anyway. And... I thought you were going to say Mars. I was like, no. There's oh, <laughs> a, a question. I'm curious. In your world traveling, uh, world schooling uh, endeavors, is there like a next destination that you guys have um, earmarked? Well, we're off to the UK for the next uh, month. Yeah, just over a month. There's a Sudbury Valley School there in, in Kent, southeast of England. Uh, which we're going to go check out, uh, which runs Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and the kids can get a little bit. It's like it's like a conference, you know, when you you, you just need to go and be in meet space with like-minded people. So these guys are going to go and check that place out. So they'll be surrounded by 12 to 17-year-old kids. No, probably 8 to 17-year-old kids, um, all in a self-directed education facility, and that'll be cool. Then we're off to Madeira uh, for a couple of weeks to do – the thing uh, over there, the Bitcoin Atlantis conference. Uh, and then we have possible house move coming up, but also on the cards, Poland, Oslo, uh, wow. Prague. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's we get to mix all of this stuff with the Bitcoin uh, conferences and, and meetups. And we'll, do, we'll be hitting meetups in the UK as well. So meeting a lot of the British plebs over there who are doing some, some stand-up work, actually. It's, it's great to see. That's awesome. 
I'm jealous. Year. I'm actually going to make it to to England. I think uh, in the spring, uh, we got our we had a big trip planned, and it got torpedoed by COVID, and so we're pulling out the old itinerary, making it happen. I'd like to go to. Uh, I'm planning on stopping through Bletchley Park, see uh, right, see where the cryptographic activity yeah. analysis code cracking went down uh, under Alan Turing and and crew. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do some of the normal stuff, you know, London, we're going to get to Scotland as well. I've never been to Scotland. So, so that'll be awesome, cool. man. Can you stop by the Tavistock Institute as well and, and check out what other psyops they've got coming up? <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> I'm sure they All got right. a full inventory. Lots, uh, lots in the pipeline coming. Oh my God. Never ending. Lauren, did you have any further questions for these fine gentlemen? Do you remember meeting uh, these guys in Miami? I actually do. I remember that. I do. Remember I also that. remember that. That was a yeah. good time. It was. I, I was starstruck. You know, seeing Lauren, <laughs> the best Bitcoin podcaster, in person. I, I for a second, I didn't know what to say, and then I said hello. So, yeah, <laughs> I was. I was actually taken aback seeing Jesse uh, in real life. That was the first time I'd met Andy the year prior. Uh, but you're like a solid six two man. Like it's like whoa, look at this dude. Am, yeah. like, you don't get that on uh, no, on the no, Zoom. You don't get that in this little box. It's true. <laughs> yeah. So that was uh, no, six three actually, but you know, it's a film. I said so. Really stand up straight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I remember. I remember. Uh, I remember meeting Jesse for the t first time and also being uh, impressed by his stature. I met him in a I met him in a park once to talk uh, to talk uh, private key uh, handling and security, and uh, I brought a chair. I think he brought a chair, and he it was like a little folding chair, and he barely fit in it. We're just <laughs> yeah, hanging out in the park as the one park. does, talking talking Bitcoin. Halfway between self custody, with your with your your your, your mobile phones wrapped in tinfoil, no doubt. I believe I left it in the car. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That was one of the requirements. No devices on on person. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we got a lot to talk about because, as usual, in Bitcoin space, a lot has gone down in the space of one year. Where, I mean, do you have any ideas where we should kick this off? I mean, we should have made a list, but that would have been far too prepared. Yeah. When you were talking about what has happened in the last year, it it, it made me jump back to you, like, okay, where were we a year ago? Like sentiment and like current events so ftx the, the the bottom had just fallen out of ftx bitcoin price was at like sixteen thousand as a year ago and it was all doom and gloom and like you know people talking about bitcoin's going to 10k and that narrative had started to become kind of popular it, it, it the there just was no hope or excitement or enthusiasm and that's where we were a year ago kind of hard to believe that it's That's been a lot good. of water under the bridge. The 10 Kers, man. Uh, the 10 Kers. I've been calling some of them out lately. They don't seem too pleased about it. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, to me, honestly, FTX, the FTX implosion, you know, that took it down to 16K, that already seems like a very long time ago to me. Mm -hmm. um, I remember the night... Uh, the night it happened was literally uh, beefsteak at my house. And so people were 
eating tons of meat, probably too much. I definitely ate too much that night. And toward the end of the evening, like prices going down and, uh, you know, people were in surprisingly good spirits considering the circumstances, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a bit of a gut punch at that moment in time. I will say, you know, kudos to, to Swan and the Pacific Bitcoin team. It was a phenomenal conference, a phenomenal festival, notwithstanding the price was going down. Bitcoiners knew that this thing wasn't dying. Um, nevertheless, it, uh, there were definitely some of the noobs, I think, were, uh, you know, were a little more, bit more down. Those who hadn't been through a cycle yet uh, uh, were, were a little more nervous. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have those. that again in a few years. We'll, we'll have the, the, the gut wrenching drop to 60,000 or whatever it'll be <laughs> next time. <laughs> and, and talking of those who are in their first cycle and might have been, feeling a little nervous. Not our boy Sailor, who's just announced yep. another 614 million. I can't remember the exact. Like, you know, and again, think about how quick that time has flown by. Yeah. Uh, he, they first allocated, I believe, August 2020, and he announced September 2020, and then hit the scene. And he's just been an absolute animal for bitcoin ever since yep yeah yep. It's, a, it's a whole is it a whole cycle it's basically almost a whole cycle for yeah him. he he started in in it was q3 2020 is when he mm -hmm. started when when he came out um you know with his bitcoin strategy i remember it well i remember it well and opining that there might be a possibility that he might borrow to buy more bitcoin mm -hmm. yes you did andy you and he blew, blew the uh he he took that to the nth degree let's just say uh <laughs> i was not expecting the magnitude uh that he would take it to and yeah it uh he's a he is a motive force in the bitcoin space for education for you know just strength of conviction and uh he has never relented he can't stop, won't stop. And uh, I think he's right. Yeah, so I mean, in your circles... This 100K party is coming fast. The 100K party. Yeah. <laughs> We're still waiting for that, Lauren. <laughs> still waiting. Uh, you, Andy, you know who's really waiting for that is Yellow at this point. Yeah, exactly. Just just tune into Yellow's spaces. And uh, all is... Uh, that The day is a much, much calmer and nicer place, uh, despite his yelling, which is almost meditation in itself it's uh, but andy like in in your circles like you, you're still plugged into mainstream kind of uh financial markets and whatever else is anybody yet talking about micro strategy or are they still this unknown firm that nobody even knows the ticket mstr and it's yeah, just i us think, one the I, think uh, I think most people still are not aware certainly older generations are not aware, you know, like my, you know, partners who are significantly older than I am, uh, in general, I think they're not, they're not aware of this, uh, of this phenomenon yet. Awareness of Bitcoin and education about Bitcoin has taken longer than I thought it would. <laughs> yeah. I was wrong. <laughs> I thought, I thought we'd be there by now. Uh, I knew it would take time, but I, 
didn't think it would take this much time for normie finance people to pay attention. Although at least they're aware of Bitcoin. I mean, Bitcoin as a brand has definitely uh, spread throughout the space as far as understanding is concerned, or as far as, you know, understanding like what's going on with the ETF versus MicroStrategy versus GBTC or anything else, I think still the sector, uh, you know, the normie finance land is, is like right, market, market, market bingo cards viewers. Andy just said ETF. So that's one off. If you've got that on your <laughs> bingo card, make sure you, uh, you circle that. So, so we, uh, you know, on, on the MicroStrategy point, it, I've been. It's been very interesting to me that at, at, at OnRamp we have an advisor um, who's like a, a, a quite senior Wall Street um, veteran, uh, and he has re referred to it a few times as as oh you know like Sailor just turned this into a a, a Bitcoin ETF, um, in in a way kind of dismissing the like Bitcoin standard reserve strategy like using Bitcoin as a treasury asset. Kind of like no, that's not what's actually going on. He's just saw an opportunity to turn it into a de facto ETF, which, like, and this is from a guy who's bullish on Bitcoin. Um, so it's very interesting to me that like even people who who are are Wall Street and are bullish on Bitcoin still don't understand what Sailor is seeing or, or what Sailor is like, mm -hmm. you know, putting all of his money on, which is that Bitcoin is the best treasury reserve asset out there and that you know that's how you you stop the melting ice cube of holding fiat on your balance sheet um so like you know even even for people who are aware of what microstrategy is doing uh they see a different motive there as like uh, just an opportunistic way to ha like create an attractive business for people to bid uh, you know bid up the stock um versus what's actually going on which is like deeply seeing this asset is better than holding dollars. And the good news, one of the good news things about Bitcoin is it can also be both. <laughs> There's yeah. so many so many ways to win with Bitcoin, so many drivers for adoption and good reasons why people might want to own it, might want to hold it, might want to incorporate it into whatever business activity uh, they're working on. So yeah, I think uh, I think it can be both. Absolutely. So Lauren's Lauren's kicking me under the table, so that can mean only one thing: either she's seen my beer getting low and she's worried that uh, you know I'm I'm hanging out with my friends and my beer's getting low, or she might be getting a little bit bored with the conversation. It's one of it's one of those two. You know, it's... the conversation gets a bit too complicated for a twelve-year-old. Mm. Okay, so before you go and fill the beer up. Hey, Lauren. Before we're going to fill the beer up, Andy and Creasus are going to take uh, a, a, a go at explaining an ETF to a mm. 12 year old. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'll go with the super simple version. Um, if you want to, if you want to have, if you want to own something, but you want it to be really easy to own to buy a piece of that thing well there are these companies that put a pool of that together and let people on the stock market buy a little fraction of it so it's like you're owning a little piece of that with but they make it really easy for you to do that without 
you know, in this case with Bitcoin without having to set up your own wallet and move assets on the Bitcoin network. So basically it's this, it's this way for stock market investors to buy a little slice of a pool of a whole lot of Bitcoin um, and, and make that a lot easier for the investor to do. Is the, whole the world is the acronym even misleading? I mean, where's the E? Exchange like, traded fund. Yeah. ETF exchange traded fund. Yeah. I think uh, the way I, uh, that's well said by Jesse. And the only thing I'd add uh, is that most of the wealth in the world is held in either houses and buildings or brokerage accounts where people hold their stocks and bonds and funds. Uh, Lauren, you may have one of those accounts, or if you don't yet, you will uh, probably before too long. Doesn't that sound uh, fun, Lauren? <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Yay. It's an account where you own stuff. You can't actually yeah. touch the stuff or, you know, interact with it physically or anything like that. You just own pieces of businesses uh, primarily or uh, or other financial assets. And that's where most people have most of the wealth that they've saved over their lifetimes earning, right? They have jobs, they make income, they save it. Some of it they keep in, in cash and money and then the rest they invest. And so that's where people have their investments. And now you've got an instrument where you can buy Bitcoin or at least get, you know, own financial exposure to Bitcoin, own the price basically um, in that kind of an account. And for a lot of people, that's a big deal because that's just what they're used to. Yeah, right. that, you want to go get that that's the... <laughs> Now she's total mastery of ETFs now, right, Lauren? Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> yes. No insider. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Right. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Nice seeing you. See you again. next time, Lauren. To Great see to see you, soon. Lauren. Yeah. See you. Bye bye. Uh, so, should we? I mean, let, let's stick on that for a, a little while because it's the hot topic. It's it's on everybody's radar. Is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? People are making predictions. How many have even been? Wait, we already have one in Europe, and nobody seems to care about that. Like it all yeah. seems to be eyes on America and what are the SEC going to do? Because that's going to drive uh, the price and the, the, the adoption of other ETFs. How many have been listed? Uh, excuse me. Um, what's the word I'm looking oh, for? Filed for. Filed for. Hmm. It's like about a dozen, I think. Yeah, right? 13, I believe. Yeah, well, you're right about one thing, Princey. Uh, nobody does care about Europe. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, and it's the ECB even tweeted today that uh, one of their members uh, has come out and said um, Europe is overbanked, especially in uh, comparison to other countries such as the United States. Uh, this is something we're going to be looking for, looking at going forward. So they're basically saying. We're going to see. We're going to take even more power and centralize even more of this power to us ourselves and only us. So look out for next year, more European banks being swallowed up. Like, here's one for 2023: Credit Suisse. Yeah, don't exist anymore. Like, no one's talking about it. No one did talk about it, and then all of a sudden they're gone. 
and swallowed up by UBS. It was a super deal for uh, for UBS. They bought it for a for a song. They got the government basically to take the downside risk. Again, again, banks capturing their their governments for the benefit of the banksters. Um, I have to agree that Europe is quote unquote overbanked in the sense that Europe still lacks a significant debt capital market. So most of the cash that capitalizes companies in Europe that's not equity capital does come from the banks. In the US, there's a much bigger bond market. The the bond market is a is a much bigger factor. It's especially a bigger factor in uh in the junk area, you know, levered companies, um, lower quality companies, companies that have lots and lots of debt relative to their capital structures. And so that's been true for a long time. And frankly, it's uh, it's still true. It's even more true these days um, as the banks in Europe never really cleared out their balance sheets after the global financial crisis 15 years ago. And um, and so they've still got dead wood sitting on those balance sheets. As a result, they're not extending as much credit. There's all these there's this whole market called private credit, which has sprung out of almost nowhere. It's sort of like Bitcoin, like 15 years ago, basically it didn't exist or barely existed. And now it's huge. There's all these funds that raise capital from investors, from limited partners, and they just go and underwrite loans to mid-sized companies, uh, partly because the banks aren't doing it. It's been a growing factor in Europe. It's been a growing factor in the US as well. Um, and it's kind of grown out of uh, almost nothing in the last uh, decade and a half. It's now Jesse. a couple. It's now like a couple trillion dollar asset class uh, globally out of uh, out of nothing. It's it's at least a trillion dollars uh, asset class. Sound familiar? Sound like another uh, asset class yeah. we we know about? It, it, <laughs> I, I I wasn't aware of the the, the growth of private credit um, lending like that, and and but it's, it sort of sounds like there's uh, Europe is overbanked and underbanked. Then if if um, you know, if if that function is being fulfilled by a, a different, you know, a, a startup sector of the financial industry, because yeah, that's a good longer. point. That's a good point. Maybe we should say it's they have too many banks that that uh, that are in poor shape. They got too yeah. many banks that suck. Yeah, right. Yeah, they're, <laughs> but they're bringing it all back to like what that what that means though. They're like overbanked. Um, that fr that phrasing from the eu that's it's, it's ridiculous it's it's a a very kind way to say there's too many people that have access to the modern financial system and so we need to kick some of those people out uh that's bullshit mm -hmm. how many sure, banks sure it would guys... be a lot better if there was a way to access the global financial system with a, a costless bank account in your pocket Jesse, you, 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 you're talking pie in the sky stuff right now. Yeah, it's, that's impossible in the digital era. Yeah. <laughs> how many guys? How many banks did you guys lose in the US this year? You had some some real big ones, uh, but there are yeah. so many other smaller ones that get swallowed up in that as well. It, it, it is funny that like it the 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 banking crisis feels like that was two plus years ago to me at mm -hmm. least, um, and and that was in March. I think yeah, SBV, right? Was was March? Yep. Is that right? Yep. Uh, Silicon Valley Bank, uh, First Republic, um, 
well, uh, Silvergate also went under, and then Signature got um, taken out back and shot um, unceremoniously, uh, despite the fact that they were technically still okay uh, in terms of their solvency, I believe. Um, I'm trying to think if there are any other besides that. I mean, that's a, a big enough list. That's the biggest mm-hmm. crisis since 2008 right there. And then Credit Suisse internationally. <laughs> and and and, the, and what came of that was the uh, uh, BTFP. What was it? Was that bank term funding program? That's um, it. You got BTFP. it. Yeah. That there was a, a trillion dollar. I can't remember. It was a trillion or two. Uh, blank check that. It up, you know, the the expectation was we'll 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 be willing to um, backstop underwater securities up to a trillion or two dollars or something like that um, for a year, uh, and so that's going to come due soon in a couple months, and I'm sure they will unwind that program and no longer extend that credit, right? Uh, or will we, of course, have that <laughs> turn into a permanent program that expands over time as underwater securities become a bigger and bigger problem for every yeah. financial institution? There's so. nothing more permanent, right, Andy? That's right. Nothing more permanent than a temporary government program. Was that, uh, was that uh, who's the famous economist? Was that Friedman? I think it gets attributed to, to Milton Friedman. Somebody just published a a biography on Milton Friedman recently, which I heard re- well reviewed. I haven't, I haven't read it yet, but, uh, but yeah, the, I think the last I looked, the BTFP had somewhere between a hundred billion and 200 billion still outstanding. And I think the balance had actually gone up, uh, not down, uh, in the last six months. Um, it's been a little while since I looked at it, but, uh, yeah, has not gone away. There are still mm-hmm. banks that have assets parked, with the Fed at par value, uh, yeah, it's yeah, uh, and, and and that's one of the misconceptions. I, I remember arguing with, with people about this in the spring, where like you know, people would say like, "Oh, but it's only there; it's only a hundred billion dollars. Like that's all that has been used. Like, what's the big deal? Like, it's not that's a drop in the bucket, but it's a blank check for future use because." You know, this is a problem that it, these are unrealized losses that sit on banks' balance sheets, and you only use that program when you are are looking to realize those losses, and you need to make a change on what's sitting on your balance sheet, and then you call in that that uh, that get out of jail free card um, in order to true up your 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 investment on that. Um, so, so it's, it's a blank check for the future and that's the problem rather than, you know, how much has been used. So it's, it's no surprise that it's been all year. It has been slowly ticking up in terms of how, how much has been used um, as you know, banks inevitably have circumstances change and they need to over time um, free up the assets that are trapped in underwater securities. And then boom, they're calling on, they're calling on the government to fill in the, the, the gap. Um, and yeah, like, you know, that'll con- keep happening. That'll keep continuing. In many ways, I think the banking crisis is, is on pause because the BTFP, in, uh, you know, restored enough confidence in the market, in the um, going concern status of, of the banks everywhere, because suddenly the, you know, underwater securities are no longer a problem at all. So what's the problem? You know, wh- why have a bank run if there's a blank check sitting there? Um 
but you know the structural issue of of high interest rates is still there and you know maybe coming down a bit in 2024 but all those securities are still underwater and the blank check i guess is the stopgap that allows for that problem to not precipitate into a crisis but the that only happens you know you only avoid a crisis because the blank check is there to step in and and uh, create money to fill the holes on banks balance sheets at the expense of holders of of fiat currency who are then seeing their holdings diluted because now there's more money in existence because of that blank check and yeah, the federal reserve i believe in in 2022 it's now 0% right the, yep the, yep yep so sorry, what 0% sorry are you talking about i oh, sorry i thought you were talking about the uh, reserve requirements reserve requirements yep. yes okay yeah, 0%. Reserve requirements, yes, 0%. And and they, that has been the case for a little over a year, I think. And, mm -hmm. you know, Correct. it's not going to change. <laughs> <laughs> they actually, so I remember, let me see if I get the timeline right. But I want to say that in COVID, they changed the rule to have zero reserve requirements if you held treasuries. And then I think they reversed it. And then they reversed it again, obviously, because yep. <laughs> so it was it was gone for a moment, sort of like QE, right? It's like yes, uh, you they stop they could stop doing it for some period of time. They may even be able to shrink the balance sheet for some period of time, but generally speaking, it doesn't tend to uh, to last very long. And yeah, overall, more and more debt, more and more credit gets built up in the system over time so we get this clear trend with some sort of short-term uh reversals uh but so you, you're really you're right andy i'm on the, the web page now it, it, the first announcement I, th I believe uh march 15th 2020 the board reduced reserve requirement ratios to zero percent effective march 26th 2020 this action eliminated reserve requirements for all depository institutions there you go that's it yeah, and, and Andy's right that the transition from one status quo to the next comes with like it, it's sort of waffling between two states until the you know the, the the new state is just permanent from that point forward. I think we probably have reached that that place now, and and then also to Andy's point of uh, you know they. The Fed tried to unwind its balance sheet in 2018, and and it got it, un, uh, it rolled off 14 percent of of the assets on the balance sheet, and um, they've been trying to roll off the assets on their balance sheet right now, and I think they're around 14 percent right now, um, but now and now with talk of you know pivoting to. QE um, on the horizon. I think the other variable here too, though, is that they've managed to find like um, creative ways to have off balance sheet um, stimulus, like the BTFP, which doesn't sit on anybody's balance sheet, but is a blank check for the future. Yeah, you got reverse repo. Uh, you got uh, the Treasury General account. There's all these piggy banks. You know, accounts basically 
that are real money, right? I mean, the, I don't know, I think reverse repo peaked to like 2 trillion something. Um, you know, the, the TGA, I think is in the mid hundreds of billions. Um, you know, it's, it's significant Get, monkeying around, you know, if, if Yellen wants to, uh, add or subtract a few hundred billion dollars from the markets, she can do that. Uh, just like the fed can do that. And so even if Powell and the fed are moving somewhat programmatically, and I'm not saying that they are, but even if you assume that they are, there's still levers that uh, can be pulled by other branches of the government, especially branches of the government that are directly elected or appointed by those who are directly elected, like the president who's facing a re-election campaign right now and a re-election in less than a year. And we just celebrated 110 years of the formation of the Federal Reserve. Yay. <laughs> What'd you do to celebrate, Princey? <laughs> I reread The Secrets of the Federal Reserve by Eustace Mullins. <clears throat> Classic. Classic. Yeah, you've been you've been uh, you've been on top of that. You've you've been popularizing that. I had not heard of it before you raised it to me and mm -hmm. uh, raised it to your audience. So, I'm glad you brought it to mm -hmm. our attention. Not enough Bitcoiners have read that book. I, I, I have to confess that I, I read the first like quarter of uh, Creature from Jekyll Island and, and it just made me so outraged and mad that I like I couldn't keep reading. <laughs> no. Did you even make it to the sinking of the Lusitania in Creature from Jekyll Island? I think I did. I I probably that's probably telling that I can't. That's when I that, really so. started getting angry. Like it's like, oh, like, I was angry from the beginning. Of, you yeah, know, the overnight uh, Christmas break, um, push it through vote. <laughs> My goodness. And then when when so I was reading the the secrets of the Federal Reserve, and I think it was in that book that it, I became aware of the fact that Nelson Aldrich, who was the, uh, he was the head of the U.S. Treasury, I think, at that time. Well, he was the one that held the meeting at Jekyll Island. He was the one that brought everybody together. His daughter married John D. Rockefeller Jr. Huh. You know, what? Like, no, stop. So I'm straight on Wikipedia and wherever else. And I'm like, and sure enough, there it is in plain sight. I'm like, yep. So you're telling me, hang on a minute, you've got representatives of that dude's banking uh, concerns at a secret meeting in Jekyll Island being hosted by his son's father-in-law. And, and, like, and we're the crazy fucking conspiracists, right? Like this is what just, you know, it's like, guys, it's here. It's, they're not even trying to hide it. This It's on Wokipedia. Just go and look. It's all there. Like, you know, it's... It's unbelievable, truly unbelievable. Yeah, what a convenient term, conspiracy theorists. Because yep. you know, conspiracy it, facts. How about yeah, conspiracy well, facts? Yeah, yes. too often. Um, of course, of course, people human beings conspire to pull off shit all the time. Of course, that happens. And well, you conspired to launch on ramp, right? Yeah, that, that's what you right. do. You you build like uh, an idea. Yeah. You you pull in the right people. You bounce ideas around. You throw shit against the wall. You see what sticks, and you launch a company. Like you know, 
that wasn't a theory. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, that happened. Yeah, that's right. By the strict definition, that's a that's a that's a conspiracy of ideas right there and and energies to to manifest something in the world. <laughs> that's what that's what a conspiracy is. So here we are trapped for 110 years under this Federal Reserve Act, which was pushed through in record time um 23rd of December 1913 when half of the uh, the congressmen and women, I believe, had already left to go on holiday, so it wasn't right. even full representation. Because it got, the way I understand my history, it got turned down, then they worked through the night to get an, another one in, in front, on the floor, um, that on that 23rd of deck, whatever day of the week that was, where most of the, the office had, had cleared out. Yeah. And then it got signed in. Like, that. it's just classic. It, it, it's it's interesting too that like you know the founding fathers like this was what they were afraid of and and so i think for for the next century th that that they resisted the you know a, a national banking apparatus or or undid it i forget which uh, early president was responsible for dismantling the first um national banking system but um jefferson i think, I think jefferson was sure. jackson wasn't it wasn't it bank of the united states was reversed by jackson i think yeah one of those um i should i should brush up on my early mm -hmm. uh um he was a big he was well, a hamilton, big popular hamilton, he was tried, hamilton tried to bring one in right right it was, well, so he was the, trying the whole, to bring in the whole a central bank um thing that has been glorified in pop culture of, of late because it's all about collectivism and and that has become our culture um is is antithetical to what jefferson and jackson and and madison were all about which was um you know libertarian economic values and 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 we had this country founded in that of like like true liberty um and and now you know now fast forward 250 years and and we've normalized things that would be you know tantamount to like a form of slavery from the past of like mm -hmm. we have to to tithe the government uh you know a third of our earnings every year that's that that's the definition of of like well some type two of points you, you've hit on two planks two planks of the communist manifesto there a progressive income tax which was unconstitutional. Income tax itself was unconstitutional. A progressive one, they'd just taken it to the next level. And the fifth plank was a central bank. Interesting. Yeah. All I all I heard uh was a third of uh, a third of your income, which uh is great news because uh Jesse has left uh, California and uh and moved to moved to <laughs> Texas, where you do only pay a third of your income because there's no state income tax. Me, I'm still, uh, I, I still haven't figured things out. I still haven't left California. My, uh, my tax burden is, yeah, even substantially higher than than a third. It's so painful. Yep. Yeah, I was, I was sick of of paying near near half. Although it is the the one good thing about it, it, it is it is the forced hodl to some degree. It's a little bit like having Gox coins. You ain't never, you ain't never selling them if you can, uh, if you can avoid it because the tax bill is too painful at least if you're <laughs> ayc coins which unfortunately most of mine are all right so we've done did we do the etf justice uh because the the noise out there is deafening 
especially going into 2024, as we know, as Bitcoiners, is going to be kind of part of the full-on hype cycle. We're coming into the, the halving event, and newbies are going to be led down the wrong path. They're going to be pointed in all kinds of different directions. And as many Bitcoin podcasts are out there, there still are not enough because we're not reaching enough people to warn them that this ETF is... And I'm going to reference here Farrington's uh, article, Trust Me Bro. I don't know if anybody's ever read that. Uh, it's a brilliant article that he dropped after the original filing from, from BlackRock. And he actually brings up a point from um, Anil said so. Uh, so that's Anil on, on Twitter, uh, which he found a uh, hidden gem in the BlackRock ETF filing. Uh, and I'll, I'll just read the underlined sections here and, and I'll get your guys' take on it. Uh, buried in the pages and pages of this um, application, in the event of a hard fork of the Bitcoin network, the sponsor, i.e. BlackRock, will, if permitted by the terms of the trust agreement, use its discretion to determine which network should be considered the appropriate network. Yeah, is this surprising, though? I mean, every holder of, uh, of coins, Princey, and in this case, it's a, you know, it's a company, it's an institution, uh, they get to decide which is the real the real Bitcoin. Um, people who were here early enough for the hard fork, I wish I I wish I had been. Uh, by the way, it, it's not like I was waiting for the fork to happen because I was nervous. It's because I couldn't fund my Coinbase account fast enough. It's <laughs> like desperate to <laughs> jam fiat into into this new system because I just learned about Bitcoin and uh, and I didn't get to buy it till the literally the day after the hard fork. But um, yeah, I think that every holder, whoever that holder is, whether it's an individual or it's a committee or it's a company or, you know, Michael Saylor or whatever, um, gets to make a decision about where they want to continue to hold their wealth, whether they want to dump the one of the hard fork coins or hold on to it to to see what happens. And that's just the reality. Um, and so that's true for any institution or, you know, quote unquote institution or group of individuals that collectively either own or just control you know they don't own in the case of the etf they control on behalf of a third party as uh, as fiduciaries so that's definitely right. uh, an ongoing concern there's another so, point i want to yeah, go ahead go ahead no no another point i want to bring up which i hadn't thought of before but i got from arthur hayes in his recent letter was actually if coins get held as they're supposed to in the etf they their their velocity goes to zero, right? So there will be no transacting and therefore no transaction fee generation for any coins that just sit in uh, in an ETF ultimately. So taken to the logical conclusion, if too many coins end up in such arrangements, hmm. you know the the network dies because there's literally no activity, and as the uh, block subsidy you know goes asymptotically toward zero. You got to have transaction fees. Now, is this a, something I'm concerned about? No, I'm I'm not worried about the ETF uh, locking up, you know, twenty percent of the coins or thirty percent of the coins or the majority of the coins. I just I don't see that as likely. That's the genius. One of the genius elements of the supply schedule is enough early 
Bitcoiners who understand the thing have enough coins that, uh, yeah, they're not going to let those all slip into the fingers of uh, of Wall Street. Mm-hmm. But it is it is a simple fact that there does have to be velocity on the network. The no- network ultimately does have to be used for actual transactions so that the miners make transaction fees and are rewarded in the long run for continuing to uh, to validate blocks, construct blocks. Please don't lead us to the spam conversation just yet. We will get there, I promise. Uh, Jesse, yeah, it goes on to say there's more small, more small print here. Yep. Uh, there is no guarantee that the sponsor will choose the digital asset that is ultimately the most valuable fork. They're leaving a leg out to choose whatever they want. And therefore, can either rug pull all of their investors. So they're, they're, they're stockpiling right now Bitcoin. They're going to shill the ETF to the high heavens. People are going to run in thinking that this is all great. I'm now long Bitcoin. 18 months down the line, there's going to be maybe a hard fork or soft fork event, which ties us back into what's going on right now, possibly. And the, the small print gets sent around to everybody. I oh, remember when we said, well, this is one of those moments and we're going to choose this fork vis-a-vis. This is now your Bitcoin holdings um, pegged, we promise, to the other Bitcoin holdings that we we have, which are now completely in our sole control and could probably rehypothecate and do whatever the hell we like with. Yeah. It's it's a very plausible scenario of of what if this is some sort of attack. It, so I have I have a lot of things to say here because um, funny Let's enough, funny enough, I'm I'm uh, I'm rather sympathetic to uh, what BlackRock has has had to do, specifically because um, I have set up multiple Bitcoin investment funds uh, at this point um, two now. And um, this is a topic that you have to, as a, as a manager of a fund, um, deal with. Uh, and there really is no good solution to it except to do what BlackRock has, has done uh, in terms of carving out the authority to make that decision. Because the, the alternative doesn't make sense from, from a, a fund mechanics point of view. Because if you were to say... You know, if you were to say we'll preserve both sides of a fork, um, that's all well and good for people who were in the fund before the fork. But then, if anybody wants to come get into the fund after the fork, what do you do? Do you do you buy an equal number of Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin with their money, or do you put it into Bitcoin because that's that's Bitcoin and that's what they want? Um, and so, you know, you can see how that becomes a logistical problem. And, and, and of course, it's all in the context of, uh, each investor owns a, a, a percentage of the existing pool of assets in the fund. Um, and it, you know, with regard to an ETF, it, it needs to be, it, it needs to be what it says it is, which is Bitcoin. So it's a, it's a one asset, um, pool, but now you're talking about suddenly you have two different assets in that pool his, going, his, for historical holders and then going forward it's going to be just one 
for any new new entrants. So you have to reconcile that. You have you have to choose, and you have to switch entirely to one asset or the other. And 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 you know I, I've looked at what have various funds done um, in terms of these this provision, and, and this is actually the standard um, because there's no good answer that you know it, within a fund's mechanics that allows for that accommodates. Um, the the realities of of a fork being kind of ambiguous, and you want to allow the investor to maintain control and choice, but at the end of the day, you're running a fund, and you have to steer it towards you know what is the the truth, um, and make sure that that's the only asset in the fund. So I'm act, so I'm sympathetic to to BlackRock uh, in that sense, but at the same time, it does create this possibility you know, for, for an attack. And that's especially concerning because this is BlackRock who created the ESG idea and, you know, threw their weight behind it saying a few years ago that they were only going to invest in companies that were, you know, positive ESG forces. Um, which? which <laughs> you're right. Which is completely qualitative uh, and makes them kingmakers um, because they get to, you know, say what is and isn't ESG positive and you could totally have a you know you could have the same sort of mechanics play out here with their etf of of you know they could throw their weight behind a, a bitcoin esg fork that that was gonna you know only allow uh, renewable energy mining through some rube goldberg machine of of checks and uh, or or code behind the scenes or you know whitelisted miners um, and then that becomes a, a vehicle for total capture of the network and control of the network. Um, and so, you know, they could try to pull that shit. Um, and that would obviously be awful. Um, but what gives me hope is that even if, even if they're, you know, even if that is this sinister plan that they're trying to put in motion here, um, I have faith that Bitcoin Cash taught the Bitcoin community, you know, the, the block size war taught the Bitcoin community what it needs, uh, you know, it instilled what, what it needs, the lessons that needed to be learned there um, in order to be, I guess, toxic enough or wa wary enough or suspicious enough of any kind of um, large concerted effort with companies backing one side and users backing the other side. And so, you know, the Bitcoin community has survived uh, and, and emerged victorious through a concerted corporate attack on Bitcoin in 2017 and learned a lot of lessons about how to navigate that. Some of which are like be toxic, um, you know, and be suspicious and <laughs> and don't trust verify, um, which comes with their downsides, you know, in terms of how pleasant it is to deal with Bitcoiners. But it, I think is a, a vital um you know, battle-hardened lesson um, that Bitcoiners have taken away from that, such that you know, I think I think that even in the scenario where BlackRock has some sinister aim to co-opt the Bitcoin network through the Bitcoin ESG fork and you know, um, forcing all of the ETF holders to follow that path, well they're going to lose uh, against the, the the true free market 
incentives of of the Bitcoin network um, and Bitcoin Cash 2.0 will happen. And and Bitcoin Cash 2.0 on a much larger scale than Bitcoin Cash was. But Bitcoin is on a much larger scale uh, now than it was in 2017. And so I, I feel I have optimism that even if that is where this goes to, that Bitcoin is growing faster than the efforts to um, hit, kneecap it are able to scale. Um, you know, and so the, the Bitcoin cash attack was a few at the time, large Bitcoin companies um, all, you know, getting in a back room and doing this deal to try to, you know, make Bitcoin cash win. And that was a large scale attack at the time. The, you know, the U.S. government attacking it six years later would be a, obviously a much, much larger attack uh, via BlackRock. But I think Bitcoin will be so much larger and cats out of the bag. The lessons from Bitcoin Cash have been learned. And, you know, and then and then at the end of the day, the free market incentives of of true Bitcoin continue. So, you know, if you're BlackRock, you're you're, you're kind of screwed because you can you can trap investors into an ETF that is going to be converted into Bitcoin ESG, but you cannot prevent the the true Bitcoin network from operating and continuing to you know put out a, a hang a shingle out there saying here's a here's a free uh, open network for you to conduct your financial activities on um, where you won't be censored or or stopped. Uh, and it's outside of BlackRock or the U.S. government's purview, and that will always be more attractive. So you know, in, unless BlackRock was to convince some supermajority of of all uh, coins and um, existing Bitcoin users to switch over to the Bitcoin ESG version, um, they just Stop saying Bitcoin it. ESG. Can we can we call it BSG? <laughs> can we call it BSG? BSG BlackRock. Uh, wait, what's BSG for? A Bitcoin SG. I got it. Um, and bullshit. Yeah, you, you know. Anyway, so so all that, all that to say that I, I'm at, at the same time sympathetic with the position that BlackRock and any fund manager is in with regard to how do you deal with forks. And and by the way, I I wrote a piece um, about digging into the BlackRock S1. That, that I think I, I ha I'll take a little bit of credit. I, I was part of the inspiration for for Alan to write his much better trust me bro uh, <laughs> version. So I wrote that. Alan read it, and then you know a few days later he comes out with trust me bro, and it was better because he's a better writer. Uh, anyway, so so you know I dug into that BlackRock S one and found quite a few very concerning things, of which this was one. Um, but at the same time, I'm a little, I'm a little sympathetic to the reality that. It's kind of an impossible problem to solve if you're running a Bitcoin fund. However, there is that possibility that is, you know, laying the groundwork for a future attack. But I still have hope that I'm optimistic that that attack would prove as effective as Bitcoin Cash was, uh, you know, with enough hindsight. That was a lot. That was a lot. That was a lot. And... Uh, I think the, you know, the, the B, whatever. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say kind of leads us into, you know, we're, 
where we are at closing out this year. Closing out this year with, let's call it a cesspool because it's not a mempool anymore. We've got all of this nonsense jamming up the block space and we've got a divided community again. And it's a classic psyop, right? Divide and conquer. Uh, we are being divided over the very definition of the word spam or um, censor or censorship, which uh, Giacomo has been talking about. And it's it's all just weird that this is happening at this point, at the same time the ETFs are on the shelf waiting for the rubber stamp, at the same time Senator Warren, Warren, who everybody knows and loves, who is uh, over 300, I believe, for, uh, for getting bills passed, uh, is talking about banning pencil and paper because, uh, ladies and gentlemen, here, here is an unhosted wallet. Uh, you know, we must ban this technology, ladies and gentlemen. We, we take it out of the hands of us terrorists that are on this freaking call right now. Uh, I mean, here we're back to conspiracy theories again, guys. Like, what's going on? All right. Well, I'll say one thing about the Senator Warren stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, it is bizarre seeing the most anti-bank person in politics ally herself with the big banks. You know, had this sort of chummy Q and A with uh, with Jamie Dimon um, for all the world to see. Really, uh, talk about clown world. Um, so there's that. The second thing I'll say is, you know, take action for you know Americans out there. Before uh, before I uh, take a couple days off here, I'm gonna write a couple quick letter, uh, letters to my senators, tell them what I think of this nonsense. Uh, it doesn't take that long, to be honest. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you there, there's a lot of models uh, out there, examples you can find on Twitter or elsewhere. I think maybe Preston uh, Pish might have put something out. Um, I think maybe the Swan guys did too. So I'm going to be doing that. I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to let my opinion be known to my senators. My opinion being that this is an infringement of my privacy and my rights, mm -hmm. which are protected by the U.S. Constitution. Um, so that's so that's that. The ordinal stuff uh, is interesting. I think the lesson I draw from that is, yeah, be careful with uh, be careful with soft forks. Be careful with upgrades. Be careful with any changes to the code because they may have unintended consequences. Uh, this is a great example of an, I think unintended consequence, uh, which is all this block space being uh, consumed at lower cost, lower fee That's than one killer. would ordinarily have to pay for a Bitcoin transaction. And that's an inefficiency. I mean, I think it's a, it's a mistake. I think it's, path dependent i think we are where we are you know it's worse to roll back the uh the upgrades it's worse to um you know unless it's really a life or death situation for bitcoin i think it's worse to try and change back um so so you know i don't really think we should try and try and reverse it or anything like that but i do think that it is a good reminder that it's a good idea to go very slowly when upgrading Bitcoin, I do think one of the things sailors write about is 
it ain't broke. Don't try to fix it. Don't try to optimize it more. You know, it's already reached network effect. It's already being really good at what it's supposed to be really good at being, which is very fully limited supply, uncensorable, unconfiscatable hard money. And uh, yeah, that's a, uh, or a hard monetary asset, let's say. And that's, that's the main and most important thing and clever engineers trying to make it just a little bit better may find that making it just a little bit better comes with costs that they don't anticipate. So that's my thoughts and feelings about those two topics that you just raised there, Princey. Yeah. Yeah. The, if I recall, the ordinal stuff can get block space for a quarter the the cost of normal transactions, which is such a mistake in hindsight. Um, and all of this, all the technicals are, are, are way outside of what I'm, you know, knowledge about knowledgeable about with Bitcoin. So yeah, it it's such a shame um, that we find ourselves in that place. And you know. A question I've been wondering recently is like, why can't we soft fork to patch that 4x, um, you know, problem? And the, I'm sure there's a, a, a technical reason why that's a very stupid and naive thing for me to wonder about. Um, but it is a shame that that you know, I, Prince, you're right that like ultimately we're probably being divided here um, on a topic and being soft. So, I think the question is here, are there enough DGENs out there that give too much of a fuck about monkey JPEGs to have jammed up like the base layer for as long as they have with no end in sight or is something else at play? Right. Yeah, I, and I don't know the economics of it. Like, Was that Andy? Well, you're, he's suggesting it's an attack. Speaking of, you know, conspiracies, um, it's possible. I don't know the answer. It's definitely worth asking the question. It's definitely worth have, being suspicious about it, uh, for sure. Have you followed the money yet? I, I, I haven't found a good trail. Have you? Okay. Well, Taproot Wizards, right? <clears throat> Raised $7.5 million uh, out of nowhere. The article drops. The article dropped on... Um, Bitcoin Magazine, and then other places. And then you start just following the, you know, Taproot Wizards, a Bitcoin Ordinals project focused on advancing Bitcoin's capabilities and secured $7.5 million in funding to assemble a team of top-tier developers to build on Bitcoin. The investment round was led by Standard Crypto. By the way, this is the only hyperlink in the whole article, Bitcoin Magazine. Look at you. Why are the other hyperlinks for Geometry, Collider Ventures, Starkware, UTXO Management, Bitcoin Frontier Fund, Master Key, and Newman Capital participating in the raise as well? Yeah. Because when you do start following the money and you look at these websites, one, they're shit, like really shit, and two, there's no mention on their portfolio page of having invested in Taproot Wizards. Now, you might think, yeah, it's holiday season. Perhaps they just haven't got around to updating two words on their website. Or there's a red flag there somewhere. And then you follow the track of Starkware, 
I've never heard of Starkware. I don't, have you guys ever heard of Starkware? I haven't. Have you, Andy? I have, but I don't know what they do. I've All heard right. Of UTXO management in particular. Well, UTXO management yeah. is under BTC Inc. Yep. Alongside Bitcoin Magazine, it's the investment arm of BTC Inc. who have funded this, and that is in the small print at the bottom of the article. Starkware, they're valued at $8 billion. Huh. $8 billion. One of the other investors of Taproot Wizards, not even listed on their portfolio page. And then you try and, well, who funds these guys? Who's, who's worth $8 billion in this space that accelerates layer two solutions across blockchains, plural? And you're like, huh? So then you look at their funding round, and lo and behold, Alameda Research were one of their funders to the tune of goodness knows how many freaking. So, guys, this isn't this isn't about monkey pegs on the base chain. This is there's something else going on, and I've only come to that conclusion in the last forty eight hours of just doing that simple Google like just just follow the money, and I urge anybody else listening uh, to go and do that. Wow, definitely suspicious. Starkware it funded at eight billion dollars. I thought that no, not funded, had, not funded. Valued, valued, valued at eight billion. Excuse me. Yes, fund, funded at a valuation of eight billion dollars. I had, I think, I, the reason I thought that the reason I knew the name was it was like some altcoin, you know, operation. But I'm not even confident in that. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, where does this stuff, where does it come from? And that all of that funding came, and this is in the TechCrunch, Starkware Series D closed in the midst of the recent crypto market turmoil, literally after Luna crashed. Hmm. Yeah, who was funding that, huh? So <laughs> how much does it, how long do they have that the, the runway for blocking the mempool is long. Yep. Are you it, not getting your, your transactions uh, confirmed? Is that what you're trying to tell us, uh, Princey? <laughs> is Bitcoin broken for you? Is Bitcoin not, not, uh, uh, it, not doing it? It's not broken, and it, it's, it's still coming in at like 9 minutes and 45 seconds, and everybody's, uh, you know, it, it, you can't break it. You can certainly... Uh, Jam, jam the radar systems, right? Uh, another classic uh, move when you uh, want to create confusion. And that's what's going on. Confusion is being created. How big, uh, so how big is the mempool? Like how many megs? Does anyone know? Uh, let's go to mempool.space. Show sponsor. Not sure. Nice. Although, yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, right now it is just a cesspool. Full of this nonsense. Well, there's 360,852 transactions um, bouncing around in the net, in the uh, in the mempool there, and uh, the last block cleared at 237 sats per byte, and then you you open it up, and it, yeah, it's just full of these. Yeah. You know, somebody sent 
40,000 sats and paid a 31,000 sat fee, like $13. To, like when you look, somebody sent 294 sats for a fee of 19,106. Like, the, come on. Come on. And there was thousands of those. Yeah, look, yeah. it's not great. Yeah, it's concerning. And, and I wonder what this leads to. Um, I continue to, I guess I, but the default is that this is, this is speculators, right? Like trying to flip or um, these JPEGs and make money. But for a full month. Yeah. Right. Every 10 minutes. It's, it's profitable until it's not. Um, but you know, how big is the market really for these NFTs on Bitcoin? Um, I don't know. Uh, and then, and then if it's, yeah. if it's not that big, then what is yeah. happening? Here? Yeah. is infinite, right? That's the thing. If, if this is the worst possible scenario, if this is a state coordinated attack, just keep going. And then if you do get that fork event, if you do get that fork event, which, which fork are BlackRock going to choose right. once they've encapsulated everybody into their ETF? Guys, we're in the dark world right now. We're in a dark, <laughs> dark world. <laughs> you thought you were coming on there talking about macro stuff. I don't know. I don't know, Pritzi. It sounds like FUD to me. I'll be honest with you. If uh, I hope you know, so, this seems like low grade, uh, pretty low grade, uh, low grade attacks. I think that all good Bitcoiners should be vigilant and ask right questions, and as you say, follow the money. And uh, I think it's highly suspicious. I agree with you. I don't know who these Starkware guys are, but uh, you know, on the other on the other hand, I think that um, I think that this is not. Maybe I'm ignorant, but this is not near the top of my list of worries for Bitcoin. Well, I know that I have the right guys on the show to have this conversation with, uh, to leave it 48 hours, because I know you will both go and follow that money like bloodhounds, and you will come to much more of a, a clearer picture than I've, I've come to with my just basic Googling skills. This is something that you guys have done professionally for many years. I hope one of your listeners goes and uh, goes and, and does the and does the dirty work for us and contact <laughs> you and and you have them on and we uh, we do another round we get to the bottom of it. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it, so it's funny because you're Prince, you're either on to like the, the you know the next big attack on Bitcoin, um, or it's a nothing burger, right? Like like it's, mm -hmm. it's either speculators who will eventually get washed out. Um, because NFTs run the same course that they did on Ethereum. <laughs> you know, too much supply, not enough demand. Who gives a shit? And then people move on. Um, or this is this is some, you know, like like in the block size wars, they, there were a lot of one sat transactions that clogged the mempool, that, you know, and, and it was clear that they were coming from somebody on the Bitcoin cash side who had a vested interest in, in making... You know, making it look like you, you need bigger blocks in order to eat through the mempool. Um, and so it, it could be some kind of attack like that, uh, in which case it's super scary. Um, what 
you know, like the if it's an attack, they're not trying to clog the mempool. They're trying to get a response that you know, and and then it's like choose choose wisely what how you react to this because if you rush through a soft fork that you know ends up being exactly the precedent that the attacker is looking for, then maybe you end up accidentally weakening Bitcoin. Um, and so it's kind of, it, it, it's scary, I guess. Um, I, I hope it's still just stupid people trying to make a buck um, because I think that explains most things in the world. Um, but yeah, it's possible. It's possible your, your, your nose is onto the, the next Bitcoin cash, Princey. Well, let's let's link it back to what we first started talking about with FTX, because Alameda Research was uh, closely linked, if not a direct arm of, uh, of FTX, and Sam Bankman-Fried, uh, or Fried, however you pronounce his name. What's up with that cat these days? I mean, is he arrested? Is he in jail? Is he just living life in the, the Caribbean? Like, uh, what's the news? Anybody been watching? Yeah, I forget what his current What's status is. He's in cat. jail right now, right? I think he's in jail. Yeah, he's I in jail. Really he's awaiting sentencing. I think the sentencing is scheduled sentencing. maybe for March. And uh, that's uh, that's where he is. He's chilling in prison or in jail, I think in New York, right? Um, and uh, that's, that's his reality and well-deserved in my humble opinion. Uh, I mm -hmm. think he's set back adoption in the space by a couple of years i thought financial advisors as an example wealth managers were ready for bitcoin a couple of years ago i think they might have been except for uh except for what happened with ftx and the other uh you know frauds and uh ponzi's and schemes that uh, that blew up last year but uh, he was definitely culprit number one in my humble opinion, for setting back adoption by a while. You know, looking forward, Princey, there's the the scenario that that I'm excited about for 2024 is that historically all the major press about Bitcoin has been negative, right? Like it's FTX, it's mm -hmm. it's Jamie Dimon saying it's it's garbage. Um but now with the ETFs, this is why I ultimately think that ETFs are a good Trojan, a positive Trojan horse for Bitcoin in the world. Um, and that's that's my current view, at least. And maybe that'll evolve. But and, and I feel that way because there's all these big financial giants who, um, you know, have a, an ETF proposal in the hopper. And then when that gets approved, they have a, a financial product that they get to charge much higher fees on than your typical ETF. So it's way more attractive to get clients to allocate to that ETF versus any other in their portfolio. Um, and so then the marketing machine turns on from Wall Street, from from big finance saying- like, The old dog and pony show, eh, Andy? Yep. yep. And, and, and that will be very effective for the mainstream um, investor to be like, you know, when you have Fidelity or BlackRock or, you know, whoever you trust with your money putting out ads saying like, oh, Bitcoin is the future. Oh, you need to have some Bitcoin in your portfolio. Are you ready for the digital age? Make sure you get some BlackRock ETF Bitcoin. You know, like that, that 
is going to be hammered all through 2024 and 2025, 2026. And, and then that's going to move the needle about the perception of Bitcoin you know, in the mainstream with regard to you know, should you own some in your portfolio, it will normalize and make it not only normalize, but but make it the the default position for in, in the minds of, of everyone that you should own some Bitcoin. It'll take time, but that'll happen. And and, you know, obviously the, the, all these um, ETF providers are doing it because they're going to make money by selling their own ETF. But in that process, in, in the process of marketing their ETF, they're marketing Bitcoin. They're saying Bitcoin's mm -hmm. a great asset. Get it, get it from us, you know. And and so suddenly you've you've so a, a first marketing department is going to be Wall Street. How fucking good yeah. is that? <laughs> yeah, that's right. And and that's messed up and weird, but it's how you win the 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 middle of the bell curve. Um, Andy, can I can I, wanna, can, I, I wanna, can we try and um? Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I want to. I want to. You know, take a. Well, I don't know if it's a non-popular view, but one one of the things with the ETF I like to think about is, I like to think about the counterfactual. Like, for example, what would Bitcoin price be at this point, four months before the having, less than four months before the having, mm -hmm. if there hadn't been uh, ETF launches, right? Wow, we are we are three months and change now. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, and my answer is: Would price have been somewhat lower probably you know would would price be in the 30s i think so like would it still be in the 20s i kind of doubt it um and so you know we're heading into a year yes the utf's a big deal but also the having is coming up and probably we're going to get a pivot by the central banks right they're probably going to start stimulating again so um it, yeah i mean another maybe unpopular view i have is Let's say the ETFs get rejected. Let's say that mm -hmm. uh, somehow mm -hmm. Gary Gensler rug pulls us all and uh, <laughs> just, you know, blanket rejection. Ha ha, got you guys. Totally pranked you. We were doing all this work for you, you know, getting you to update and revise your applications, <laughs> taking this all seri seriously, having hours and hours and hours worth of meetings. And just kidding. We're not going to, we're not going to. <laughs> let it happen we're gonna go and fight it in the court some more you know we're gonna waste some more of our of our lawyers time even though uh it's doomed to fail uh if all that happens i don't think price is likely to go down that much um i think it's i think we're in this different dynamic right one of the classic uh learnings of bitcoin and the price over cycles is it moves differently in a bear market than in a bull market. When you're in a bear market, bad news dumps the price and good news doesn't help the price. And in the opposite, when you're in the bull market, right? Bad news doesn't dump the price, or at least not by much. You can get sort of transitory uh, short-term moves, but then the, the bid comes back. And so, you know, I, I, I mean, I hope the ETFs don't get rejected. I hope uh, everything doesn't go back to the drawing board. I actually, I actually honestly don't feel that strongly uh, either way. You know, if they delay the ETF, great. You know, more more actual coins in the hands of actual humans uh, as opposed to uh, more paper Roach Motel uh, Bitcoin. I guess it's not Roach Motel Bitcoin because <laughs> I guess maybe the coins can yeah, uh, the coins can yeah. come out. But um, 
But, you know, I, I just I actually don't think it matters to price that much on the downside, even if it doesn't happen. So it's probably cheap, cheap talk because the odds that they don't get approved, I think, are quite low. So it's unlikely that uh, my hypothesis here will actually get tested. But I, uh, I'm just not that worried about it. So the last point I want to kind of bring up with you guys, uh, and it's flying under the radar, are the new accounting rules that are going to come in as of yep, uh, huge. first quarter of 2025. So can we unpack that for the global audience? You know, what, who are FISB? What are these new accounting rules? What are, what's fair value accounting compared to not fair value accounting? I've heard Sailor talk about it on a, on a few pods. He did a great one with uh, Nick Batia on his layered money pod. Um, yeah. Where, where can you take us? How can you help us all get educated on, you know, accounting rules in the US and what this means for companies that have Bitcoin on their balance sheet or should strongly be looking at allocating Bitcoin to their balance sheet? Okay. Yeah. Well, I can take first shot. I'll do it yep. quick. And then a real accountant who's actually studied accounting, <laughs> that's uh, Jesse, can correct me. So FASB, Financial Accounting Standards Board, this is the body that basically uh, sets the rules, uh, for the significant rules for accounting, at least uh, within the U.S. system. Um, the FASB uh, changed their mind, right, in terms of the treatment of Bitcoin. This was in part, I think, because of, <laughs> I suppose, lobbying from Sailor, among others. Um, it used to be that if you held Bitcoin, number only went down, number never went up. Uh if the price went down, you had to mark it down. And if the price went up, I'm talking about in dollar terms, you didn't get to mark it up. So it was a one-way ticket to accounting what, losses. Why, why was that specific? That, that's really confusing to, to Dude, a lot of people. Why were was, you not allowed to account for the appreciation? I, I think it was a it was an early mistake that the FASB made of, of just not knowing how to think about Bitcoin as an asset. Um, so they categorized it, I believe, as an intangible asset, um, which which only makes sense in the very literal term of like it is not a physical asset. Um, but what it, normally intangible assets are like goodwill uh, and and other things that are intangible. Um, and those you always that entire category are things that, that you amortize, you draw down over time um, in terms of what what their value is. So the, the, their value only goes down over time for intangible assets typically. Um, and, and that's like, um, that's like copyrights. Um, you know, the value of a copyright d decays over time because it's a limited contract um, and, and, and goodwill, same thing. Well, different reasons, but same idea. So they had they had bucketed it as intangible assets, which was just wrong from the start. But I think it was just a mistake, an early mistake they made of of not knowing what kind of asset this was, and so intangible digital coins ended up as intangible assets wrongly. Andy, yeah. So look, if you're if you're a company like Michael Saylor, or you're representing a company, running a company. And you put it, you buy some for your treasury to protect against debasement of the currency. Uh, then if it goes down in dollar price, you have to take a loss and show it in your net income, basically that, uh, that you lost money. Then you don't get to recoup that. So it was a huge deterrent 
to at least publicly traded companies that have shareholders as a deterrent to them buying it in their treasuries like MicroStrategy did. Uh, and so that deterrent has now been removed. I am cautiously optimistic that other companies will now adopt Bitcoin as a treasury asset. I think it will take time, but uh, it definitely removes a significant impediment that was standing in the way of corporate adoption uh, for Bitcoin uh, for their treasuries. Well, let's just say 10 listed companies adopt Bitcoin over the next year, right? I mean, that's very conservative on the back of these new accounting rules. And we know Sailor is out there doing his thing, talking amongst his network, educating people in the boardroom, not just us plebs who just lap it up. I mean, he's, he's out there doing this stuff, right? So do you think Jeff, that's conservative, Princey? I might take 10? the bet. I might take the bet against 10. You sure. said in the next year. Yeah. Do you not well, think? I think two years. I, mean, it, I like two years. I don't know if I like... Uh, but Andy, I like Andy, 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 like, risk is off now. Like the ETF. Okay, yeah. We, we still have to understand it might not get rubber stamped, right? Let's, so, but let's just, let's just play this out. ETF gets greenlit. FASB have said what they need to say. So you've got Gensler saying, this is all good. You've got Fasby saying, this is all good. Everyone's not listening to Warren anyway. Uh, so is, I don't know, is 10 conservative or is 10 a moonshot? I think you're putting, you know, with a one-year timeline, it's pretty tight. I mean, one of the things that Saylor did, right, is he laid <laughs> out the playbook. You know, what's the, what's the accounting yes. work? What's the legal yeah. work? What's all the stuff? And right. a bunch of people went to the, you know, went to the conference that he put on mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it was all great. Uh, and then, yeah, 2022 happened. And yeah, but Andy, these are slow burns, right? These, these are 24 month plays for, for those people that went to MicroStrategy World and, and listened to those talks and watched the, um, the, the YouTube streams and listened to McKinsey and whoever else and Deloitte, all of those people, all of the banner names that were there, uh, the, the, yes, they've had the, the time clock to started? See, I think the clock restarted. I think yeah, the clock FTX. restarted last year. I think yeah. now, I think now, uh, you know, members of those boards or management teams or who, basically, the corporate treasurers and the CFOs are going to be go back to the boards and say, uh, "Hey, you, uh, remember that stuff, the Bitcoin stuff we we're talking about a couple years ago?" Uh, <laughs> and then boards are going to say, "No, I don't. I don't remember that. Start over." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, I think the, right. the reputation risk, the the career risk that FTX, you know, created uh, was probably a twenty four a twenty four month setback. So we're probably right back where we were. I hope I'm oh, wrong, Andy. Okay, then, then 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 let me rephrase it. Ten globally listed companies. So I I think the the problem with that is that. The, the right exercise would really be to go through like the Fortune 2000 and say how many of these companies um, have a contr are, are controlled by one person. You know, a controlling vote mm -hmm. is held by one person, mm -hmm. and and that's the truly exceptional thing about MicroStrategies. I forget the exact number, but uh, Sailor held like 90 plus percent of the voting rights, um, so he could he whatever he decided 
he wanted to do, he could do. And so that made it possible for this, you know, rather um, unconventional um, maverick play of like, oh, Bitcoin's now our treasury reserve asset. That you just can't do that if you have a board that has to come to consensus, and the board has this obligation to shareholders to be conservative in nature, and you, you can't be a maverick when you're a board member. And so, when does career risk get flipped? At yeah, the price? career risk gets flipped when it becomes a norm, right? And so that's where like the ETF marketing starts to be valuable, and and each successive having causing a bull market and and you know, and, and to a point where now it's like, okay, Bitcoin just only goes up in value because of its increasing scarcity, mm -hmm. that will eventually so seep into boardrooms. But if, if we are uh, 70,000 by July and you're the CIO of one of these companies walking in and the dude's looking at you like, and like we didn't have at least 1% on the table, like, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, you I don't want to be a CEO going into 2024. It's just not their job. It's not the treasurer's job. When when the treasurer can make uh, you know five percent in T bills, it's not his job to make you know five X on on Bitcoin. I think uh, I'll answer I'll answer the question. When does it become the norm? Uh, mm -hmm. The year 2029. That's my answer. <laughs> you heard it here, ladies and gentlemen. I you know, <laughs> please <laughs> someone. <laughs> Right, so please inscribe way, that on the blockchain. That, that we need inscribed on the blockchain. Nothing else, none of this other shit, but, but Andy's predictions, because they come true. And that will also be, uh, that will also be uh, roughly 400K Bitcoin. Uh, <laughs> I'm sticking with my original projections from uh, when I published Why Buy Bitcoin in the year 2019 and gave a 10-year view. Oh, wow. Andy's got his balls out, Jesse. Uh, you, know, you guys aren't even drinking over there. It's your morning. What's have you got Bloody Marys in that thermos, Andy? What's going on? Like, <laughs> You'll never know. You'll never know. This is Bloody Mary thermos. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's that's interesting. So, you, so you were projecting uh, ten years for a hundred x, basically. That's how those numbers probably worked out. Yeah, it was. I think at the time it was about eight k. It's about 8K. So yeah, 50, call it 50X on a 10-year. Interesting. I hope we're... So, I think we'll so far, we're, we're basically on track. I mean, we're ahead of schedule, but that's because we're in the bull market, right? So if you kind of... If yeah. you smooth the four-year cycle around it, yeah, I would say it's basically on track. We'll see what happens with this bull market. I, I, keep, I keep seeing... I'm, I'm kind of a man of two minds recently. I've, I, I see the case for like... 120,000 and I also see the case for like 300,000 and I can't make up my mind. I also see those cases but neither of those is 400k, right? So we're still right. one cycle away. Yeah. And so I would bet we touch 400k in 6 years. Um which I guess would be your time frame. <laughs> Andy, do, do we have your your notepad there again? Like the, the notes that you bought to uh to this interview? This one? Just that. Uh, up number yes. went up number went, no, number up. went up okay yes <clears throat> that is correct number will go up uh how did we get into it, price predictions you you fucking guys 
Every uh, time. Yeah, we, we got too excited. We were talking about FASB, and, and we can talk more we about were, that. We were talking about, we were talking about like really boring accounting stuff, uh, and then you got it, all carried away with 400K by 2029. <laughs> you were the one who got into, uh, oh, it's going to be 10, 10 public companies uh, adopting. Globally public. Glo next yeah, year. Pop, yeah I, I stand by that. I stand by that. There, there's going to be some announcements. There just has to be. Yeah, there, there, there must be in some. Yeah, I'll bet you one wizard, one wizard against that. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> don't, you, don't you put that hurt on me, Andrew Edstrom? I don't want that I'll, in my life. I'll bet you three, three chill frogs. <laughs> All right, Jesse, come on, bring, bring this back, back to boring accounting work, FASB. Uh, yeah, fair so, value accounting. Yeah. What does that do? Okay. What does that do? Here, here's one. What does that do for MicroStrategy stock yep. in the yep. first quarter of 2025? Because we will be. It doesn't. We'll be above sixty thousand. Let's let's say that is almost guaranteed, unless there is some kind of absolute complete nonsense going on. Yeah. So so I did a, a bit of a deeper dive into what the FASB rules mean uh, for microstrategy and, and in general. And yeah, I think your timeline there is, is the right one of like, what does this mean in 2025? Um, what will this have done for microstrategy by that point? So um, point of clarification there, the FASB is allowing companies to opt into fair value accounting starting now. Um, and then it's an expectation a year from now. Uh, and so again, what that means, the fair value accounting means that you can, you get to, when the value of your assets drop, um, you, you book that, um, that loss, um, and shows up on your income statement as a, as a loss, um, a line item that's real. Um, that's how that's so that in the event of a loss that happens today, um, all, you know, and has been the case with the intangible asset treatment. Um, the fair value accounting, you know, has that that same provision for losses, but it also uh, expects that you book a profit if the value of the assets goes up in a quarter. So then you, for your for your um, for your 10Q report for that quarter, you're booking a profit from the appreciation of the, of that asset. Um, and that's what is very interesting. I think Michael Saylor's right about, so he said that this is one of the three biggest um, drivers for Bitcoin, um, Bitcoin's price is, is mm -hmm. that the um, updated guidance. And, and I think he's right because what this does for the accounting for micro strategy will be pretty sensational um, going into the bull market because they will, they, you know, if Bitcoin's price goes up and, and they're, they're all in on Bitcoin, they will be booking massive profits each quarter because the value of their Bitcoin holdings goes up and it won't, it won't change the, so then looking at, you know, what's the stock price of, of micro strategy in 2025. I don't think it changes the stock price because uh, Wall Street's smart enough to be able to factor in un unrealized profits into their valuations for what's the true value of a micro strategy. 
But what it will change is the perception. Are they, are they smart enough to value yeah, it unrealized you know, profits some on the Bitcoin price when they have no idea? Like, if, but go ahead, go ahead. Maybe yeah, some, some point, impact, points but, taken. But yeah. on, on the whole, um, yeah. But what it does change is the perception of MicroStrategy um, because now you're talking about every quarter, MicroStrategy is booking multi-billion dollar profits and they look like geniuses and every treasurer, every CFO wants to be in that position of like, look, I just created massive uplift for the business through adopting this, you know, accounting option of using Bitcoin as a, as a treasury reserve asset and look at, look at what it's doing for MicroStrategy and, and look what it's doing for the CFO, the, the treasurer. Um, everyone in, in, you know, in the finance department looks like a genius because they're booking these massive profits because they adopted Bitcoin as a treasury reserve asset. And that I think is the impact of, of this is the, the headlines for MicroStrategy are gonna be relentless for the next 18 months multi-billion dollar after multi-billion dollar profit quarters just from the fair value accounting of their bitcoin you know they're 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 a medium-sized business really but they have this massive pool of bitcoin and they're gonna they're gonna see billion dollar profits every quarter and everyone wants to be in those shoes um and so that i think makes changes the the dialogue among cfos um, about, hey, maybe we should try to capture some of this juice too, get some of this uplift <laughs> from Bitcoin, get these, you know, these awesome headlines that MicroStrategy is getting. And so I think that the shift in the, in the narrative, the dialogue, there's going to be questions. Like people are going to be reaching out to MicroStrategy, like, how are you guys booking these billion dollar profits? Like, do you think this is going to keep happening? People are going to be interested in why MicroStrategy has done what they're doing and are going to be a lot more open to following suit when when you get credit for it because right now um you just look bad you, the, the only possible option is for you to look bad if you adopt a, a bitcoin treasury strategy um, when it comes to your quarterly earnings reports because what you're required to do is you're supposed you have to mark the um so if, if intra quarter, if the price of Bitcoin drops, you know, suddenly it was to drop within the quarter down to $3,000 and then recover at the end of the quarter, you have to mark your Bitcoin value for that quarter down to the low point because it was impaired at that point and you're not allowed to recover. So you have, you, you, you're only incurring losses. Um, and so you only ever look bad when it comes to quarterly earnings reports right now. But what about you know what about tax? value makes you look like a hero. What about tax, Jesse? Is it also is there no tax benefit to booking the loss? That's a good question. Yeah, you do get the tax. You, that that's the one thing is you get the the tax um, credit, I guess. Um, so and, and and just the uh, under the new rules, you, you still can't use your um, your average uh, price of purchase. You, you yeah. have to mark to market to the the price of like the end of the day of business day of that quarter. Yeah, you, you would market to the end of the quarter, but but that's the thing about the the current intangible asset guidance is that you have to market to the low point. So whenever that was in the quarter, that's what you have to market to. 
but in with the fair value accounting you market mm -hmm. at the end of the quarter. So Andy, like right now, with his hundred eighty nine thousand Bitcoin, if that goes up just ten thousand dollars in one quarter, that's one point nine billion dollars. And that's going to happen every single quarter for the next six quarters. I think chances yeah. are good. Chances like, are this good. Is, and so, so for anybody watching this that's excited about the ETF, fuck the ETF. Like, if you want to get, if you, if like you, you don't understand self custody and Bitcoin as we do on this call, why would you? Why would you buy a BlackRock ETF when you can buy? MicroStrategy, and he's not done stacking. This is one. This is one hundred eighty-nine thousand he has today. How many is he going to yeah, buy I next month? And the month after? The month after that? It's a fair question. I mean, it is worth asking. You know, it's cash flowing business, so <clears throat> yes, you know that which he's using to DCA, right? Which he's using to DCA, and so instead of, I mean, I can't remember if he couched it this way, but yeah, one one way to look at it as is as an ETF that instead of having a management fee, you know, a loss, basically a, ta a tax on the system, a tax on the assets, and therefore the tax mm -hmm. on the whole the investment, it has the opposite. It's actually generating cash flows. So I think you price that. I do think it trades at a premium, most likely, you know, versus pure net asset value. So if the ETF trades at asset value, net asset value because you can create and destroy shares at par then yeah i think there should be some embedded premium probably to microstrategy stock since if you do a sum of the parts we call the sum of the parts you say okay here's the value of the bitcoin on the balance sheet here's the value of the operating business you put those two together you know the business is worth something i mean i haven't looked at the numbers recently you know if it was generating i'm just making up numbers you know 100 100 uh, million a year in cash flow and you put a 15 times multiple on that you know it's worth a billion and a half for the business or something i'm just making up numbers that should be additive to the billions that the balance sheet bitcoin is worth so yeah i think it ought to arguably trade at some premium now that the magnitude of that premium i'm not entirely sure the market will decide yeah that, that sounds right Small, small premium. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. I think that leaves us on a positive note. Uh, very bullish. Always bullish. Always bullish on Bitcoin. Bullish on Bitcoiners. Bullish on you two gents. Yeah. Really appreciate you, you coming on again. And I've got to ask you the final question. I know you've faced it many times before and i can't remember every answer you've ever come up with but if you had just one last orange pill left to give to somebody who would you give it to and why okay me first so i give it to dad so dad <laughs> i thought was bought in on bitcoin i thought he got it and then he's kind of been uh he's kind of been backtracking or at least in the last bear market he was he was kind of backtracking i thought that i thought that he'd reached a level of conviction that would endure the next bear market i'm talking about winding back the clock a few years here the next bear market being the one that has now concluded uh but uh, i'm not sure that that it all that it all stuck so 
Love you, Dad. You get uh, you get the next orange pill for Mandy. I know he listens, so uh, a big uh, big shout out to to Mr. Edstrom. Your son's coming for you, Jesse. Yeah, in the past I said uh, um, Xi Jinping, uh, and I think uh, Ray Dalio, or maybe it was Larry Fink. I, I think that I it was Shakira. I, I never said that one. No, okay, so, wrong guy. Sorry. Good one, no. <laughs> you know, I, I have been thinking about how Larry Fink at times has been saying, like, genuinely, like, I, I actually wonder if if Larry Fink gets it um, and and actually see, you know, actually has a good heart. Like, I sort of wonder if he has, you know, a lot of these Wall Street titans, I, I think, um, view themselves as like like American success stories and really uh value american values and then you know bitcoin embodies those american values that they have sort of uh idealized their whole lives and i and i feel like larry fink could be part like that could actually be happening to him um which would be incredible that would and so i'd, I'd say i'd give it to larry fink to try to finish that process uh because it it, w it would be remarkable to have Larry Fink join the like Paul Tudor Jones, Bill Miller, Stan Druckenmiller Miller crew um, of like you know what this Bitcoin thing is is as as American as apple pie, and it's good for the world, and I'm gonna put my weight behind it to the extent that you know my my job allows me to, um, because that would be that would be a huge ally for for Bitcoin. Who knows if that's actually the case. Get him it. over the finish line. He's close. I He's think close. so. Yeah. Well, we all know it. You know, it's a mind virus, and it takes over absolutely every cell in your body, and for the better. Uh, for the most part, uh, it will expose the charlatans, and we've seen that happen. And Bitcoin derangement syndrome is a real thing. Uh, so we got a busy year ahead of us, guys. Uh, as always, thank you for coming on the show. We'll do. Perhaps, um, I know, a Q1 roundup. We won't leave it so long next time. I know we all get super busy. What do you need to shill, and where can people find you? Yeah, um, final final thought there of like all, this, all the macro stuff we've been talking about. I think the, the halving will, can, will do what it has always done and dwarf all these other considerations in terms of its significance for Bitcoin and the, and the price in particular. So that's the, truly the, the story will be the story of the next 18 months. So excited about that three months and change away. And then the, and then the mechanics are set in motion. And uh, as always, uh, the day itself will be uh, unextraordinary and it will feel like nothing, like it didn't work because nothing will have <laughs> changed, but uh, behind the scenes under the surface that, um, the supply shortage will be start accumulating there and that'll set in motion the parabolic advance that we'll see over the next 18 months. Anyway, uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Jesse Myers uh, at Cresus, C-R-O-E-S-U-S underscore BTC. Um, I've been uh, very busy launching and, and building um, our company OnRamp, uh, OnRamp Bitcoin. And we have... Um, established the uh, best practices around um, multi-institution custody for for uh, Bitcoin holders who 
for whatever reason, um, either can't take self-custody um, or, you know, feel a little uncomfortable about it all being in self-custody, in, in particularly with regard to inheritance and inheritance planning. Um, and also, you know, don't want to trust a third-party custodian like Coinbase. Um, Multi-institution custody pr provides the best balance. Um, in, in fact, in my opinion, is better than either of the two, self-custody or third-party custody. Because you get ex expert, um, you get three different institutions holding a key on your behalf in a multi-sig vault, um, and only acting at your direction as the end user. Um, so you know you get best-in-class um, key management, but you retain control of your assets. So that's what we've been building at OnRamp. Um, it's been a very exciting year and a half of building that and really starting to scale now. And part of that has been bringing Andy on board to lead our uh, our our managed wealth efforts, um, which Andy can can tell a little, a little bit about here. But yeah, if you're interested at all in multi-institution custody, check us out at onrampbitcoin.com. Love to see it. Yeah. All right. Twitter, Edstrom Andrew, and OnRamp. I couldn't be more excited. You know, one of my missions as it relates to Bitcoin is to get Bitcoin safely into the portfolios of all the people who have wealth, uh, particularly in America. Um, keeping America safe for Bitcoin means getting it into people's portfolios. And I'm not talking about paper Bitcoin or Roach Motel Bitcoin. I'm talking about Bitcoin that can actually be withdrawn to self-custody someday in the future. And I think the last cycle taught us that single institution custody it can go wrong. And um, so anyway, I couldn't be more excited about building this product for OnRamp. Um, and uh, yeah, it's going to be a big year for us in 2024, helping not just financial advisors and wealth managers, but uh, all kinds of people get their coins safely custodied, all the while educating them about Bitcoin and educating them about self-custody. And what a team, guys. I'm uh, very bullish, really looking forward to uh, Jesse. We're going to do a rip about the whole journey of OnRamp in, yep. in January. And Andy, we'll get, we'll get the band back together, like I said, uh, towards the end of Q1, and we can have a discussion again. And it's uh, always fun to hang with you guys. Really appreciate everything that both of you have done in the space, all of your writing, all of your podcasts, Building. Speaking speaking of podcasts, uh, Andy will be uh, doing a lot more of that soon, and uh, we'd love to have you, Princey, uh, join Andy at some point for for Andy. If That's you true. How could it. I forget? How could I forget the Scarce Assets podcast, which I will <laughs> be launching? First guest will be the one and only Preston Pish. Very excited for it. We're going to be recording next week, and yes. Princey, definitely want you uh, on my pod Absolutely. and or one of the stable of podcasts that OnRamp is producing. Yeah. And, and more pods. More pods. Not, yeah, people out there are going to be like, what? Not what what did Walker call his one? Just another fucking Bitcoin podcast. Like, no, Walker, we need more. We need more. Keep keep bringing the noise. Yeah. And the, and the, the goal of that one, Scarce Assets, is, is to really talk about the topics that 
are, matter to wealth managers um, mm-hmm. and, and obviously with regard to Bitcoin and, and scarce assets in general. So, um, you know, Princey, well, you'll be a perfect voice to have on that one at some point. Here. <laughs> I hope I don't disappoint. Well, thank you so much, guys, for coming on. First ever live, which is uh, a great one to see because uh, Andy being part of that because first ever Bitcoiner to be interviewed by Lauren as well. So you, you, you carry that responsibility and looking forward to seeing you guys. Will you be in person at any conferences? Uh, are you coming to Europe to shill on ramp at any point? What's, what's the travel plans? Andy, I know you've got travel plans lined up, holiday and everything, but how will we meet you at a meetup or at a conference on our side of the pond? All right, I'll go first. So uh, I'm a yes on Pacific Bitcoin. Come to LA. Uh, come to the conference. It's like a mile from my house. Bad OPSEC, I know. Um, Perfect. <laughs> uh, no, seriously, though, it's a great time. Um, I will. I don't know yet uh, whether I'm going to make it to Nashville. That's, uh, that's a maybe. I, th- I would like to make it to, uh, to Texas. I'd like to make it to Bitblock Boom. I don't have plans to get to bitcoin conferences in europe uh at this point unfortunately but those could change right. well hit us up when you do your holiday and we'll get you plugged in some meetups at the very least and the, the plebs will look after you and your family like royalty you're welcome all of you Croesus, what's going on i yeah no uh i'm i'm keeping my calendar uh clear of conferences simply because i don't know how i would fit them in uh at the moment with with all of the demands of growing on ramp um which is great problems to have uh but we've been very busy building all this stuff and bringing on clients so um no current plans for bitcoin conferences but you know maybe nashville and and probably bit bit block bit block boom wow that's hard to say it is Um, it's a tongue twister gary what are you doing to us? We're, 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 we're simple folk. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, not sure, but, you know, you can always find me on Twitter. All right, guys. Well, have a great day ahead of you. Thank you again for coming on. Always fun, Princey. Always a pleasure. See you. Well, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Of course, we couldn't have covered absolutely everything that happened in 2023 the way that bitcoin works it just it changes so quickly thanks to andy and Croesus for giving up their time almost a good two hours there to come on and go through it all in a professional manner which is what i love about these guys uh, it's it's just great to, to unpick it all and, and get their take reach out if you want to know more from them uh, we will be doing another show i am sure in the first quarter of next year to try and catch up with what happens like going into 2024 and an update on all of this spam nonsense that's uh that is protracted uh that there's more and more information coming out now uh from around the plebsphere those that are digging into who actually has funded like uh this whole thing and when you start going down that rabbit hole it doesn't look that great so do your own research do a little bit of digging follow me on twitter retweet what other people are posting underneath there when you see something that you can confirm or that you've seen yourself 
Uh, the more information, the better. We have to stay united as a community as we try and uh, navigate these difficult waters because if we just start yelling at each other and we're going to get thrown off course. Um, yeah, we certainly don't want another block size wars, a block size 2.0 wars type thing coming our way in 2024 when we should all just be concentrating on the halving, more education of new people coming into the space because there is always a huge wave of new people that come in. We've got to have our tools sharpened, our narratives ready, uh, our FUD busting abilities at the top of our game. I hope to do a, a rip with Parker Lewis in the, f in, the, uh, in the first month of next year where we will be talking about Bitcoin, not blockchain uh, for that reason. So we can make sure that we're uh, up to speed on, on getting noobs across the line quicker. And uh, thank you everybody for listening as always. Really appreciate it. Uh, it's the fourth year now of the show having so much fun doing it hope to see you in madeira first of the third of march get a 10 percent discount on your tickets using the code bitten head over to swan if the if you're in the us use them as a uh, educational resource as well they've got a bunch of books there that you can uh, start learning from you can set up your dca start stacking sets use their private service same with relay r-e-l-a-i.ch across here in euroland uh, download the app start stacking and you yeah, you will not be sorry. Uh, hodl hodl, that's the place to go for KYC free sets. Hit the link in the show notes, use the code BITTEN, you'll save on commission there. WasabiWallet.io if you want to start looking into coin joins. Bitbox to take self-custody, make sure you're doing that on the 3rd of January. Every year we clear out the exchanges as much as we can of Bitcoin and everybody starts taking self-custody. So get involved in that initiative. Mempool.space is the place to go to check what is going on in the mempool right now and whether you should be waiting or making transactions and paying those fees. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Catch you in the new year. And final shill. <laughs> final shill. Orange Pill App. Orange Pill App is going to take off in 2024, and we need more people on there hosting events, meeting plebs, creating projects together and getting educational resources out to as many people as we possibly can. Thank you to Mateo and the team over to Orange Pill App doing great work. Sorry I left this one right at the end. Hopefully it's going to leave a, a bigger impression on people's minds. Take care, guys. See you next year.